Easy Vibes on the Easy Desert Podcast, your cool guide to investing. In terms of your role at Purple, what are some key things that you hope to achieve? That's a great question. When I took my role at Purple, I looked at my personal situation, which was, you know, what's my next big challenge? And for me, it was growing a company international, one. And two, seeing an idea that was amazing, but not being leveraged as much as possible. Okay, so what am I going to be doing over the next couple of years? What are Purple going to be doing over the next couple of years is taking that forward. You know, we're going to be internationally growing. You know, we're going to replicate the success model that we've had in South Africa and take it to these geographies where we think that model can work. And we're going to partner up with people on the ground there and say, look, guys, a lot of it is investing and making money for the long term. A lot of it is financial security. A lot of it is financial inclusion. You know, even even educating things like this, educating people that there is an easy equities type company out there in Asia, in South America, in North America, wherever we go. And I think that's going to be the principal focus for me. Welcome to Easy Desert, a podcast by Easy Equities, where we simplify money and investing. No jargon, no complications. Your cool guide to investing. Easy. Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Does It podcast, your cool guide to investing. My name is DJ at large. <laughs> so we've hosted various people on the Easy Does It podcast from captains of industry to financial experts, entrepreneurs, and even a wealth psychologist. Today we'll be hanging out and vibing with the new member of the Purple Group family rish tandapani and if i said that wrong i know he's going to correct me i'm gonna put it in his hands he's the new chief operating officer at purple group rich welcome to uh, the easy does it podcast man thank you man i appreciate it i'm glad to be here it's an honor oh man uh, congratulations on your your new role by the way thank you um exciting times ahead well the big thing is welcome to africa as well right my first time in africa Excited to meet you guys. Excited to help you guys on your journey as well. So, um, yeah, I am really, really excited about it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Now, Rish, you know, our listeners on the podcast, just like me, also happen to be owners of Purple Group shares, right? So, we all have a vested interest in new members who join the organization. And hopefully, individuals like you will be taking the business to new heights. So, I'm very interested to learn more about you, about the role you'll be playing, what your experience of South Africa has been as well. And I'm hoping we're going to get through all of that but to get us started off i've got a random money question for you if you could send a money message to your 16 year old self what would that message be (laughs) that's a great question and the only thing i'd say to my 16 year old self is unlearn everything that you've learned with regards (laughs) to money for the first 16 years of your life i think it's crazy so there's a couple of different things i mean so culturally we approach money differently right mm-hmm. depending on where you're born you know, in the uk like me india africa singapore wherever and one of the things when i was growing up it was just you know the whole purpose of any kind of financial education or you know understanding finance was to safeguard yourself in the future right so buying a home was the big thing right and my family were always like oh yeah yeah invest your money in property invest your money in property etc etc so what i'll tell my 16 year old is you know what go out there and learn that stuff yourself and one of my big things advocating at the moment um, especially when i go back to singapore is the education side of it we don't talk to youngsters enough about finance and it doesn't necessarily have to be you know all you know champagne and wolf of wall street and all that type of stuff sometimes you just talk to them about very simple financial tactics like you know building their own balance sheet or understanding how their bank account works things like that i'd also tell them you know what money can be fun 
And that's the thing. I think we need to we need to lose this age old mentality that having any kind of financial decision making power is, is is kind of boring or traditional or archaic. It's fun, man. I like it. I like I like deciding how my my money works. I like deciding how to spend it, how not to spend it. And if you can incorporate fun with a sixteen year old or anyone younger for that matter, I think you're on a good roll. I love what you've said about fun. We recently recorded an episode with Terence, and we're talking about how the journey to financial freedom has to be fun. Yes, there's budgeting and saving and spending less than you earn and investing in all of these very serious things, retirement. But that journey has to be fun, particularly if you're doing everything right. If if you're saving, you're investing, you're doing all the things right, you have to have a little bit of some fun. So I absolutely love that message that you'd be sending to yourself. Yeah, no, man, 100%. Because look, I, I, I'll give you the analogy. When you go and buy a car, right, you don't automatically think about what's the safest car, what's, you know, what's going to give me the best repayment. There's, an, there's a fun element to it, right? Like, oh, what's the color? What rims am I going to get? How fast does that baby go, right? So... For me, finance is the same, you know, it's just about making sure that the fun times are managed with moderate risk and, and levels of education that you make the right decision. So I'm, I'm all for fun finance. And I think it's a term underused, fun finance. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. love that. We're going to coin that here. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So you've got a financial background. You've worked on different continents, different countries. So I'm keen to get a sneak peek into your personal investment portfolio. And I'm hoping you're willing to share. When we talk about individual stocks, what are some of your favorite stocks? Yeah, so I'm, I'm very much an ETF and in index guy. Okay, um, so l- let me give you a bit of background first. I'm a computer science guy. Mm-hmm. That's how I went to, to school and stuff like that. So data has always been a big thing behind me. If, if I can't substantiate decision making with data, it kind of bugs me and freaks me out. And yeah, it can be a problem. But then I just got thrown into the investment banking arena and I was working on credit at around kind of 2006, 2007, 2008, which was obviously when, you know, hell kind of broke loose on the financial markets. And so I've always been a bit skeptical about aggressive individual stock trading. So what I usually do is I kind of reverse engineer the process. I look at myself, you know, just do the typical ETF large cap route, Mm. but then reverse engineer that and see, well, what are the big players within that ETF? And then I may take punts on that. In terms of my own investment strategy, look, it's evolved. I was a stupid 20 year old. I listened to my parents far too much and and did a lot of property investment, um, I guess, throughout my early mid 20s. And then as I grew into my role in finance, which obviously obviously helped because you get more access to kind of data Mm, and more access to advisors, individuals, whatever. I really learned that, hey, my bespoke finance strategy can kind of alter with the times. So what I did is, you know, a lot of people do the whole kind of 90-10 thing where, you know, they they kind of bulk up on the ETF or the index side and then they spend 10% of, you know, whatever else they have on, you know, property, crypto, whatever. I kind of reweighted myself. So I said, you know what, 50% of everything I have is going to go into ETFs. And I'm pretty bullish on the ETF side. So, you know, I look at the Vanguard stuff, mm-hmm. mostly the growth cap stuff. There's, there's another side to it, which I'll get onto later, hopefully, which is kind of sustainable investments, which I'm really kind of pushing myself into. But then that 50% of me is just kind of my bread and butter. I don't touch it. I understand that it's a, it's a long game. And if any metrics I look at, it's pretty much kind of, you know, from a three to five year perspective more than a kind of daily perspective. Um, and that works well for me. And I guess the more interesting stuff comes with the other 50%. So one of the things I always make sure I do was spend 20 to 30% of my income or savings on property, um, which I still do. Um, I've been fortunate enough, and I think a lot of us have been fortunate enough to have a global reach now when it comes to property as well. So, you know, I moved from the UK at 26. So I've been able to buy properties in, say, Singapore, Malaysia, 
Hong Kong or at least parts of that. And to me, that's diversification within a property framework as yeah. well. So, you know, I'm kind of happy with that. And, you know, property values have gone up, you know, reasonably over the last 10 years. So I'm quite happy with that. And obviously, you can kind of tweak that towards the kind of Airbnb model. Mm. So it's not just an investment. It's actually a, a P&L item yeah. each year and year. I guess the more fun stuff I do is... Well, there's a couple of things, right? So we're probably left with about 20% of my savings and everyone asks me, well, Rish, what's the secret? I'm a crypto fan, okay? Ooh, I was actually going to ask you about that, so I'm glad you, you're touching on crypto, yeah. So my view on crypto is pretty simple. Look, I think if you're day trading crypto, it could be problematic. If you see crypto as a long-term solution, I think you're in for a winner. So, you know, for me, crypto is essentially a, a kind of, you know, call option. That's what it is. Yeah. Because everything's got a store value now, like crypto, but crypto, it's, a, it's essentially attached to financial technology. So I see it as a call option, which is going to come and hit us probably in about 10, maybe 5, 10 years. Okay. And then the value of that crypto is obviously just going to grow suitably. But what people don't understand at the moment, or at least I think they don't understand at the moment, is that crypto is kind of finding its feet. To me, it's going to be the new gold. And Gold took ages upon ages upon centuries to mature itself into a proper market. And I think crypto has to do that. So what we'll see is, or what I'm seeing is, as soon as you know your big accountancy firms, your regulators, your big corporates start having more positive views on crypto and the corporates start adding it to their balance sheet, you'll see crypto actually crystallize into a mature, genuine currency. And I can see the value of crypto going up to, you know, a million you know i can see it going up to a million within kind of five to ten years and then you'll start to see a completely different financial system so i'm kind of putting it out there on that front so i spend about 20 percent of my time on crypto and the other 10 percent i just spend on kind of sports betting um, fx things like that mm. and that comes because i come from an fx background i've seen a lot of guys go in and out of positions and make kind of daily gains for me that's just kind of a gamification play i like to play that that's the fun thing Obviously, it's depressing when you lose. <laughs> so, yeah, man, that's how kind of my portfolio is spread. It's the ETF yeah. side, which I think everyone kind of gets, and it's kind of bread and butter. And then property is a big thing for me. And like I said, I'm, I, I'm able to leverage that because I'm kind of cross-geography, cross-continent. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of it's on the crypto side. And, um, yeah, for the listeners, I, my advice to them would be, look, just hold out on the crypto side. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a play that's still finding its feet, still maturing. And I think as soon as a few corporates add it to their balance sheet, that will stabilize. Yeah. It will stabilize. You'll see less vol. And, you know, like someone came to me the other day on the street, actually. And I was waiting I was waiting outside a restaurant for an Uber. And they were like, oh, you know, uh, they saw me on my crypto app. Um, and they were like, well, oh, man, it's just so high vol. I was like, well, yeah, it's high vol. But most of the volatility is created by new investors selling. And the old guys who have been in the game for a long time buying, right? And that eventually will stabilize i think yeah. um and volatility will control and then you know if a lot of countries buy into it you could be seeing the birth of something completely completely new i definitely agree with you and thank you so much for giving us a sneak peek into your portfolio completely agree with crypto i think the technology driving crypto is even more important because it then can be applied in different industries and i think that's what will unlock a little bit of some value uh, as well now you know sometimes rich we throw around a lot of terminology uh, stuff like chief operating officer what is the job of a chief operating officer what what do you do in your job it's a good question. <laughs> I'm I think I'm still finding out, finding out that answer. So basically, the chief operating officer of any company looks after the day-to-day -day running of the company, okay? Especially from an operational perspective. Okay. So ensuring operational efficiency, ensuring the teams are managed properly, and essentially acting as a buffer to the CEO and the CFO. Now, we're kind of lucky at Purple because 
that C-suite so tight-knit and got it right that my job essentially just becomes a kind of creative board bouncing ideas off each other mm. and then I kind of take it through to execution, right? So most companies, and you can imagine this even a Jeff Bezos or, or an Elon Musk, we see their outside persona driving business. Yes. And you know, they'll come up with the great new ideas, they'll come up with, you know, some kind of game changer. But then who actually executes on that? Who's executing mm. on SpaceX? Who's executing on the new Amazon product? And there's guys behind the scene, guys and girls behind the scene who need to kind of draw that through to conclusion. You know, my job essentially is kind of running the day-to-day, okay. making sure the ship stays afloat, protecting the CEO, okay? And and with the CFO, making sure that whatever we're doing on a day-to-day basis is sustainable, scalable, and going to lead to some type of growth. For me, I love it purely because I have business ambitions, but they're definitely not in the leagues of, of some of our guys out there. And you need a certain personality, you know, to go out there, drive leads, convert, execute, sign those big deals. I've spent enough of my life knowing that I'm not that guy, right? But <laughs> what I am good at is taking something and shaping it and then executing it. And so, making sure that it runs right and efficiently as well. Uh, exactly, running right efficiently. And, and a big part of that is the thing you mentioned earlier, which is financial tech. So the fintech automation angle of a COO job is huge because nowadays most automations and efficiencies come through technology, right? So identifying the right, right tech, using data appropriately to make sure that we're running a clean, quality, highly predictive, analytical organization. And the other part of that's human side, right? Yeah. 100% human side. So I know a lot of companies are kind of descaling on their human involvement, let's say. For me, it, it, the technology and the human side have to go hand in hand. So one of the things I've been doing over the, kind of my last three weeks in South Africa is looking at you know, do we have the right people in the right roles? And it's not a question of kind of getting rid of them. It's a question of repurposing them mm, elsewhere see, in the I organization. See, so I think that human aspect is is huge because end of the day, South Africa, like a lot of the countries we're going into at Purple, are developing countries. Mm. Their fintech's not going to conquer everything. They need a human arm or a human, you know, balance yeah. to kind of counter that. And so people who, people speak to me and they get scared of fintech, you know, and automation. And I'm like, guys, there always needs to be a driver at the wheel. So don't think it's just going to, you know, suddenly chop 30% yeah. of the of the workforce or things like that. In terms of your role at Purple, what are some key things that you hope to achieve? That's a great question. When I took my role at Purple, I looked at my personal situation, which was, you know, what's my next big challenge? And for me, it was growing a company internationally, one. And two, seeing an idea that was amazing, but not being leveraged as much as possible. Okay, so... What am I going to be doing over the next couple of years? What are Purple going to be doing over the next couple of years is taking that forward. You know, we're going to be internationally growing. You know, we're going to replicate the success model that we've had in South Africa and take it to these geographies where we think that model can work. And we're going to partner up with people on the ground there and say, look, guys, a lot of it is investing and making money for the long term. A lot of it is financial security. A lot of it is financial inclusion. You know, even even educating things like this, educating people that there is an easy equities type company out there in Asia, in South America, in North America, wherever we go. And I think that's going to be the principal focus for me. I think the other principal focus is, you know, sometimes when you're working in a field, you only just see that field. So if it's stockbroking, you only see stockbroking. If it's, you know, grocery shopping, you only see grocery shopping. But financial technology has enabled us to actually have a more diverse, wider product set, right? And on the back end are easy um, and within the wider kind of purple organization, we're developing new tech all the time, okay? All the time. And we're kind of protective of it because we're like, well, you might not fit in 
South Africa. Well, it doesn't need to fit in South Africa. It could fit in Kenya. It could fit in Egypt. It could fit in uh, Mongolia. It could fit in Pakistan. It could fit in UK, wherever. Um, and part of my job is to identify how we can, you know, literally leverage that tech in other geographies and partnering up with the right people. I think it's an exciting time. You know, the last two years when I wasn't at Purple, I spent a lot of time, you know, asking people and asking governments actually, what's the biggest financial issues within your country? So the answer to everything was always fintech, fintech. And I think fintech gets misquoted quite a lot. You know, it, it, end of the day, it is just a technology layer that sits, but you still need systems. You still need people to use that. So one of the things that I'm pushing big at Purple is where are the financial inclusion areas that we can go into? A lot of Asia has smartphone adoption, but a lot of Asia doesn't have smartphone adoption. Go to South America, it's minimal smartphone adoption in some cases. How do we change that? And it could just be through education. It could be us going on the ground, building smartphones for people. It could be us going on the ground, you know, setting up people to use their smartphone more, you know, sophisticatedly for, for financial management or for just sending text messages or whatever. So I think there's a whole playing field out there that we can target. I love the idea of being a product sweet company you know not a specific product but a set of products and you know what as the blockchain gets more sophisticated as people's wealth risk appetite you know gets gets more hungry i think people are going to expect more products from us whether it's insurance whether it's life whether it's crypto whether it's even building our own exchange things like that people are going to have a bit of an expectation with regards to purple and my job is to make sure that we meet those expectations. One of the things that makes me excited about you coming on board is there's a global lens, you know. So we, we pretty much only see what's happening in South Africa, Africa, but you've got a global lens and you see the business moving in a different direction. And for somebody like me who's holding some Purple Group shares, that makes me really, really happy. So that brings us to the end of part one of our conversation, hanging out with Rich. He is uh, Purple's new COO and of course he also broke down what that role is. Keep it locked for part two on the Easy Does It podcast, your cool guide to investing. Thank you for pressing play on the Easy Does It podcast. A big shout out to you for hanging out with us. Don't forget to subscribe. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of this episode on Twitter and Insta. Our handle is at Easy Equities.